Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Metal Movers podcast. Uh, I'm Ellie Sacklett-Vala, Global Editor of the Argus Metals International publication, and I'm joined today by Associate Editor Tom Kavanagh and Senior Analyst Will Talbot to discuss the trends shaping the world of battery chemistries. Uh, this is clearly a topic that's attracting growing interest from all those involved in batteries and battery metals. Uh, and of course, we're sitting down ahead of this month's launch of a group of new Argus price assessments specifically for cathode active materials. Uh, so Tom and Will, welcome to the podcast. Um, I will kick off uh, with you, Tom, if that's all right. Uh, maybe to start with, um, you could give us a rundown uh, of how you're weighing up the various battery technologies out there. There's a lot of competition every week. There seems to be a new technology in the mix. Is there a place for all of them within manufacturing or could some fall by the wayside? So I think with the battery chemistries in particular, I think what, we, what we're seeing is um, increased dominance of, uh, as, as the years go on, you know, the higher nickel cathode materials on one side and then the LFP, lithium ion phosphate um, cathode chemistries on the other side. And I think um, Will can explain this as, as well a little bit further, but over the over the past couple of years, we've seen a trend towards higher nickel cathode um, materials so that we can replace the, the cobalt, which was seen as a high risk material. And then others, um, especially in China, switching towards LFP batteries because they thought that it would be lower cost. Uh, fortunately, this over the last year hasn't actually shaked out that way. Um, because of various pricing trends that we'll we'll get into in a minute, but um, I think that's the main the the main large macro trend that you see in the market. Will, do you want to chime in there? What are what are your main uh, thoughts and observations on this uh, increasingly competitive landscape? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess obviously the the most prominent story in recent years has been the huge rise of LFP versus um, LMC chemistries. And uh, you know we're now at a stage um, in Chinese battery output where uh, LFP is overtaking um, NMC chemistries. Um, LFP clearly offers advantages on uh, on a price front compared with NMC, and also um, isn't exposed to changes in nickel and cobalt prices like NMC uh, chemistries are. Um, but it still uh, has slightly lower uh, performance than some of the higher nickel NMC chemistries that we see. Um, I think. Even as the various battery markets transition towards um, higher shares of LFP, uh, NMC is still going to remain there. We are going to move towards higher nickel uh, cathodes, um, but um, you know, NMC uh, will still be there definitely over the next 10 years. I'd like to pick up on that point about the uh, the higher nickel content. Obviously, that's been one of the, the major topics really in the first half of this year. Uh, huge price volatility and then, of course, concerns about availability, particularly of class one. Um, Will, we'll just stick with you for now. Um, how do you see all of that volatility, the concerns about supply, the concerns about availability of those class ones? Uh, how relevant is that? What impact is that happen having on the cathode space? Those, uh, that volatility that you mentioned is impacting uh, prices at, at some level. But, you know, the, because you still have the entire supply chains built around producing L NMC batteries, um, this isn't something that's just going to change overnight just because of some volatility in one of the metals that goes into it. Um, and, you know, obviously, in some ways, the 
um, I guess the ways that the contract structures can protect against that, uh, depending on which companies are um, are, are doing that. Um, I don't think that you know the the volatility that we've seen in nickel means that battery producers and car makers are going to you know flock away from NMC. Um, and I think. Um, particularly in the longer term, now that we're starting to see more MHP sites, now that we're starting to see more dedicated nickel sulfate sites coming online, uh, that will uh, perhaps try to mitigate some of those changes that we've seen uh, in the past couple of months. And how many years off do you think we are from seeing some of these uh, MHP projects, nickel sulfate, seeing all of that stuff really hit some scale and impact trade flows? I mean, I think I think it's going to happen a bit you know, sooner than some people think. I think we, uh, again, I haven't got the figures to hand, but I think we're going to start seeing more MHP sites um, maybe next year, the year after. I think, Tom, you can comment on some of the proposed uh, timelines for that. Um, I think, you know, and to an extent, we, this, I think, will be evident in pricing as time goes on, because at the moment, the nickel sulfate price effectively trades at a, on a nickel basis, trades at a premium for the LME. And I think we're just going to get to a point eventually where we have a separation between the two. We have nickel sulfate prices being driven mainly by this by the battery sector, whereas the LME remains linked to, um, for example, you know, uh, stainless steel uh, NPI. Tom, do you want to share any any particular thoughts on that? There's, of course, also uh, uh, the cobalt element, uh, which has maybe been hitting the mainstream headlines slightly less than nickel, uh, but it is nonetheless um, a huge story. You're on those markets uh, day in day out. Could you share some thoughts on 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 how you're seeing volatility in the cobalt market uh, and whether there is much um, real weight to this narrative about cobalt free batteries going forward? I think with the the shift away from cobalt by manufacturers um, previously was motivated by the concern over the Congo being the uh, the largest um, source of, of cobalt and the, the Congo still is responsible for around 74% of mined cobalt supply in the world. Um, but the the practices at the mines in the Congo have come on quite a lot since since those original concerns and, and the, you know, the, the concerns at, say, the Cobalt Institute Conference in 2017, 2018, when people were really focused on shifting away from, from cobalt towards more high nickel content batteries. I mean, obviously, the, the high nickel content batteries, um, they not only move away from cobalt for for the reason of um, ESG and that kind of thing, but they're also looking for higher power in the battery itself. Um, so there's another motivating factor in there. But uh, yeah, when with cobalt, those concerns about um, you know child workers, uh, terrible conditions in mines, they are being addressed by some of the larger companies in in the Congo. So uh, you can see with um, companies signing long term agreements with with the likes of Glencore and others that they are they're more open to using cobalt from the Congo. So I think that that motivating factor to move away from cobalt in batteries is is falling away. But the the motivation to um, achieve higher power output is still there. So higher nickel content batteries are still going to be uh, the favoured choice for for high tech car manufacturers. Do you think that uh, end users, particularly outside China, if we look at Europe, the US, Canada even, um, do end users need to be 
more concerned about future availability of cobalt. We've seen a succession of uh, major supply contracts being signed. We've just had uh, Renault uh, have just signed a fresh deal for for sustainable uh, cobalt sulfate. Uh, And of course, we have the aerospace industry, which is finally starting to ramp back up and come back into the metal markets. Uh, How serious do you think uh, the issue of availability is going to be in the coming years? I think on cobalt, I think who who's going to be stung by um, the difficulty in in getting cobalt is is twofold. You've obviously got your um, your traditional users of cobalt, so the alloy producers and and for oil and gas, medical, and uh, aerospace appliances, and I think they're going to find it difficult um, to find the metal that was once available, um, and then. You've got several sulfate projects um, coming online over the next few years. I'm thinking about people like Electra in in North America and uh, Project Blue in Australia that have quite high um, levels of output, uh, decent enough to to sort of supply quite a big chunk of their respective battery markets. Um, and then the rest of that sulfate is is coming in China and now with Indonesia as well um, ramping up, then some of these HPAL MHP projects could provide uh, decent cobalt capacity in the form of sulfate as well. Um, looking at some of the projects in Indonesia, you know, you've got um, PT, I think it's Huafel Nickel Cobalt, which is 15,000 tonnes of cobalt capacity designed into it. Um, oh, Huawei uh, 3000. There's a there's a a lot of projects that promise good numbers on on cobalt sulfate. The problem is whether they are able to deliver them, um, and if them Project Blue Electra aren't able to deliver what they say they're going to deliver, then there could be a problem. But um, yeah, I think sulfate will be uh, is a is an area of focus for investors at the moment. Yeah, I think there's a huge amount of debate, particularly outside China, about mining capacity and those raw materials. But it's really those, it's the chemicals and the sulfates where I think uh, not a huge amount of attention has been put so far. uh, And that potentially will need to change. Uh, Will, we'll come back to you. We've touched on nickel, cobalt. I think lithium's the big elephant in the room. And of course, you mentioned earlier this uh, big trend in recent years towards LFP. Uh, a huge growth area. Uh, I wonder if you could dig into that a bit further for us. Um, I mean, for starters, do you think a large scale switch to LFP would really save on battery costs, especially if we think of how high lithium prices have been in the past uh, year or so? Well, I mean, when you say would it cause a decrease in lithium costs? I mean, I'm not entirely convinced by that because, you know, LFP batteries still use lithium. The um, cost per kilowatt hour is, I believe, slightly lower than for uh, NNC batteries, but then uh, LFP also has a slightly lower power output um, compared with NCM. So I think, you know, in in a way, it would just be switching from one form of lithium to another. So, um, no, I don't think that that a full-scale switch to 100% LFP production uh, would uh, impact pricing. And also, it's, it's... well, it's just not going to happen. I mean, you've got, for example, uh, you know, GM and Ultium who've already committed to these uh, NNCE batteries in the States. Um, yes, China is um, or has been quite committed to um, a transition towards LFP, but they're not at 100% yet, and they probably won't be 
Um, so I, I think, you know, the idea that LFP is kind of a silver bullet to drive down lithium prices is um, is is um, quite simplistic in, in, in the arguments that are presented for that. Um, I mean, obviously, lithium prices have been um, you know, incredibly high recently. I think they increased something like 400 percent in the past uh, two years. Um, but that's not because of, um, you know, that's not because of any kind of changes to demand. I mean, what we really need is more investment at a mine level and more, um, more, more capacity because there is enough lithium in the ground to meet demand. We just need more mines extracting it. Chime in on, on the lithium question that, you know, that much of the market is expecting a price correction after the, the soaring highs that we've seen over the last year. Um, I don't think that lithium at these prices is sustainable because of the amount of um, investment that at these prices it, it makes viable. So, you know, uh, these supply chains uh, tend to wrap up, ramp up in phases, and and this is a this is a high price phase for for the market. But uh, 2023 onwards, you're looking at a lot more supply coming online in South America, Australia, especially. Um, so you'll definitely see that price come down um, and that could make LFP attractive to certain sections of the market um, again. So, yeah, I think that we'll we'll definitely see the market focused on, on that material when lithium starts to come down. I'll finish just with a, a general question about uh, pricing, the, the key costs going into all these cathodes. Uh, Tom, you say that you think uh, the lithium market will ultimately ease up a bit, prices will come down. If we look across the non-ferrous metal world, uh, prices for numerous products are at structurally higher levels. We have been seeing a bit of downward correction in the past month uh, across many of them. Uh, and I think one of the big questions that people don't really have an answer to right now is how deep those corrections will be, whether we can return to, say, pre-pandemic levels. We've had cobalt hovering just below 40 uh, in Europe, uh, which is uh, unusually high for that. Lithium would need to come down uh, quite some way in order to return to pre-pandemic. Um, could we finish with just some thoughts from both of you on uh, on that whole landscape? Do you think we're in a structurally higher environment even post those downward corrections? Or could we return to uh, some of the economic norms that we had maybe two or three years ago? Yeah, I think for me, Pricing of metals is in a different, uh, we're in a different era than before the pandemic. Um, we seem to be in an era of uh, difficult logistics, um, regional, more regional and local supply chains, and that costs money um, with sort of the push towards localization or, or de-globalization as some might, might want to call it. Um, I don't think we're quite there yet, but um, we're definitely regionalizing some of these suppliers. I think that that comes with a cost. And then on top of that, you've got um, ESG and carbon concerns, which are inflationary in nature. Um, so yeah, I think I think we're in a different uh, paradigm to where we were before. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with Tom 100%. I think particularly for lithium, you know, as Tom says, we will see an easing in the coming years as capacity comes online, um, certainly in the next two to three years. But we're not going to see a return to those pre-pandemic levels. The, uh, you know, fundamentally demand is so much higher because of um, EVs, as Tom mentioned, the ESG concerns that drive up, um, you know, production costs um, will continue to support uh, prices above, say, 2018, 2019 levels. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't think there's any going back to that uh, now. 
Okay. Well, we're fresh out of time, so I'm afraid we need to close up the discussion now. I'm sure we'll be returning to this topic uh, many times as the battery industry evolves. Uh, so thank you, everyone at home, for tuning in. We look forward to welcoming you to the next edition uh, of Metal Movers. And Tom and Will, thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> <laughs>